Welcome, citizens of the globe, to the Frontend Heroes podcast, where we discuss all things villainous and heroic about the front end of software development. My name is Evan Payne. I'm a senior front-end developer at Actimo, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Scott Francis, a senior front-end engineer at Porsche. How are you doing, Scott? Yeah, really good, thanks. Um, I've actually, like, I've got a change of scenery here. I've actually got my apartment back, <laughs> basically because the kids have gone down to the beach, because thankfully, like, summer's here. Um, so it's super amazing. Yeah, I need to go down to the beach. The others have been family has been. I have not yet. I will make some time tomorrow. Um, Today's episode is sponsored by NetCentric, an award-winning Adobe Global Alliance partner and consultancy headquartered in Switzerland with offices all over Europe as well as Pune, India. They are currently hiring for a number of roles, so if you're looking, check them out. We are, as ever, so glad to have their support with this show. So this time around, we have a guest. Her name is Cassie Evans. She is known as Lead Bestower of Animation Superpowers at Greensock. Speaker, educator, SVG magician, Cassie, how are you doing? And if you don't mind giving us a little spiel intro on to uh, how you got into this crazy front-end world. Cool. Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, it's lovely to be here. A <laughs> um, little spiel intro into how I got into the front-end world. Um, I, I guess when I was a lot younger, I got into coding. Um, so I was I was doing you know MySpace profiles, custom MySpace profiles, and um, NeoPets pages and stuff like that when I was very young. Um, mostly because my parents wouldn't give me money for the tuck shop, so I used to swap custom MySpace pages and sparkly cursors for donuts from the tuck shop. Um, so <laughs> that was like the early days, um, and then I just kind of didn't didn't do much coding for for quite a while um i studied photography and then worked in bars for quite a long time um and then kind of found my way again i i got into my late 20s and realized that i couldn't just work in bars and um go to festivals all the time and i needed to have an actual career <laughs> so um yeah it was a little bit of a roundabout route into development. In, in fairness, some people have found a way to do that. I guess that's the power of the internet and Instagram influencers <laughs> yeah, and things lucky. like that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so the episode title, and this maybe one isn't a stretch, which sometimes it is, keeping with our superhero uh, motif, is the Bizarro Dom, referencing, I hope, uh, how the code that you write within an SVG tag is almost like the rest of the Dom in a Bizarro world kind of way. Um, and, you know, those that know what Greensock is know that it is a very powerful tool, and there's a lot of stuff that's based off of SVG, and you've done a lot with SVG, so I want us to talk about that. So um, I guess the first thing is, like, when did you start gravitating towards using that um, as opposed to, you know, Canvas or other stuff? Um, or, or how do you decide what to reach for uh, when you're making these interesting and cool things that you make? So yeah, as uh, as well as the bar job, um, I was also uh, doing design work as well. So I was doing, I was trying to do freelancing, um, which wasn't very successful. So I did a lot of pub work at the same time. Um, but I did design for 
quite a few years. Um, so I had quite a lot of experience in that area. So when I started learning how to code, um, I think I was more interested in the visual side of things. Um, and then when I found out that you could export out SVG graphics from Illustrator and then kind of dig into that code, it just seemed like a really exciting way to get started for me. Um, cause you know, if you, if you're playing around with say with CSS animation, um, you'd have to build a whole website first and there's a lot of things to learn before you can get into the animating bit. So right at the beginning of learning how to code, the fact that I could create a graphic in illustrator and then export that out and have like a ready-made kind of fun starting place to play around with. That was, that was really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, finding the plugin, or I don't know exactly what you'd call it, but called Body Movin', which was you could do some stuff in After Effects, and then you could render that out, and then it would be, you could use it to kind of make work with Lottie. And there was this whole like tool chain around it, but you could build something in an animation software that you were used to, and then have it be sort of running on the web. That was also super powerful and had the same sort of vibe as that of getting a lot closer to what you're used to using to design with or build something with, and then ending up in this complicated web stuff. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think body body moving and Lottie, it's great if your experience with animation is After Effects because you can right. kind of stay within what you what you know. So a lot of people ask me, um, you know, what's what's best if I want to animate SVG, what's better to use? Is it Lottie or is it Greensock or is it CSS? And I think it obviously is always the answer is always it depends. Yeah. But if you've got a team of people who don't do coding and they do lots of After Effects stuff, it's like it's quite a useful tool. So was your like your entry into this then um, like a graphic design point of view? Like it was never in, you never really intended to go like into the web, or it wasn't like I, I know you mentioned that you were you were making like MySpace um, like CSS stuff, which you, you said you said, and this is quite depressing. You said, oh, like when I was when I was young, I, I remember touching MySpace, and I was not young. Uh, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I was like, I think I was like. 19 or 20 or something like that so um but yeah it was so you left that you kind of left that behind but then um was it with one eye on like you through education you were going to go into graphic design or uh, and the web kind of like you collided with the web because of this I think I was already trying to do design um because I at university I, I did design and photography um but I was really struggling trying to get freelance work. Um, and it. I think my initial drive was, oh, what if I did web design? That's narrowing it down more. If I learn about designing for the web, um, then maybe I'll be able to get those kind of jobs. And it seemed like quite, um, there were a lot of people that I knew who were going into tech at that, that time. Um, so I was looking into that, but then I, yeah, I just got sucked into the coding, but <laughs> it just was the, that was where all the fun was, I think. And then now I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was quite a successful leap. Like it was, yeah. um, yeah. 
I think it's a super interesting path. I mean, like it's interesting as well that you say like um, that people you knew were going into tech, um, which I still think I still think people are um, like really like looking to switch careers and stuff. And you see like code boot camps and things like that, that which are really yeah. like taking off, um, and lots of lots of subscriptions to that. I think what interests me really, like I see parallels with uh, yourself and. Um, and my sister actually, she um, she was like uh, design photography at university, um, and then like, but her passion was magazines, um, which now she's finding like you know it was just a, like a dying dying industry, and yeah. now like, but the thing that she's gone into really is making like short video clips, like um, so you'll see like video adverts and things like that, and she's really. Um, putting those things together because I was suggesting to her, well, why don't you go into tech? Like you're really, you're a really great designer. Like, why don't you migrate? Um, so yeah, I see like lots of parallels there with you and her. Yeah. I, I mean, I like the main thing that I studied when I was at university was photography. And um, that was like the fact that when I was, when I was studying, we were studying mostly like film cameras and there was one, um, one place that you could buy film from. I, I grew up in South Africa, so this was in Johannesburg. Um, but there was one place that you could buy film from. And during my course, that place shut down. So we had to import our film from overseas because that whole industry was just collapsing. And it was so expensive because obviously the South African exchange rate. So if you had a, an assignment, you were like, please, please come out right. <laughs> I've only got one go at this. I can't use another roll of film. Um, but yeah, that oh was kind God. of foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, no wonder you went into no wonder you went into a digital realm where you could actually like, yeah. make many many mistakes. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> all the other students were like, oh, "I'm going out this weekend for drinks," and I was like, "I, I can't. <laughs> I've got to buy film." <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean we've talked about this many times, and I even talk about it with my parents sometimes. I'm like, I am so grateful to be working in a digital realm where if I make a mistake not a big deal i can just undo or like stash the commit or whatever oh it's yeah. such a relief and it, it opens you up to that creativity you, you get rid of that fear of failure um yeah. that is part of it um i, I want to segue just a tiny bit into some more practical matters and so those that uh, have checked out some of your work i mean um i was I remember when you relaunched your website recently and there was an adorable animation uh, that was there and it was immediately like, how did you do that? Um, and I'm sure you've answered it before, but but maybe just to kind of walk us through what the process even is. Like, do you, one, where do you start to imagine that that's what you want to do? That's harder, kind of a creative spark. But then practically like, where do you build your assets? Uh, how do you apply the animation? You know, uh, what, what kind of tools do you use for all of that? Cool. So the first thing that I'd like to mention when it comes to my website is um, a lot of people, when I launched it, were saying like, oh, your site's so lovely. And I wish I had like the motivation to get my personal site done and my personal site's just been sitting in a folder half done for years and I can't seem to manage to finish it so I I was furloughed <laughs> because of COVID um so I had nothing but time which was kind of why it is so lovely um so I always like to mention that because I think people put the, put a lot of pressure on themselves in this industry to do full-time jobs and also learn on the side and also have side projects and stuff so 
yeah, if you're still struggling, <laughs> that's that's fine. Um, but yeah, practically wise, uh, I make all of my SVG assets. I I used to use Illustrator, but I've recently kind of migrated to Affinity Designer. Um, just because you don't get locked into the Adobe Mafia pricing structure. Mm. Um, so it's uh, like a once-off payment. I can't remember how much it is now, but yeah, it's um, and it's very, it's very intuitive as well. I've been using it, um, teaching people in my um, SVG workshops and everyone seems to kind of click with it a lot faster. So um, yeah, I'll make assets in Affinity Designer, make sure that you label everything really clearly because then when you export it, um, SVG code can be quite lengthy. <laughs> um, and if you don't label things properly, you can spend ages trawling through it, trying to figure out which path is which. Um, so labeling stuff is very important. Um, and then animation wise, I got started doing SVG animation with CSS. And I think that's that's still a really good place to get started and kind of get your head around it. Um, but I always use GreenSock for production um, just because GreenSock, well, lots of reasons, but the main one being that they put a lot of, um, a lot of work into making sure that SVG transforms behave consistently cross-browser. So um, there's quite a few bugs that you kind of come into with SVG and um, transforms and GreenSock manage quite a lot of them. So, yeah, yeah I, I have run into those myself. I was working on um, a project where I it was a big Angular project, and I was like, "Hey, um, this timeline thing, this interactive thing in the bit with all these little like bubbles, and you can drag them around and stuff." Um, I, and it had a graph behind it. I was like, we can do this all with SVG. You know, the graphs are SVG. Let's do the whole thing as a big interactive SVG. And it worked, but it was just all like, that was a big SVG. Like uh, not just a big SVG, but a dynamic SVG. So things were being pushed into the DOM and stuff with Angular. And it did work, but we had this one bug on Internet Explorer because the um, the transform on the SVG element, the translate, whatever, didn't do anything or did the wrong thing. And it was really hard to track that down, figure it out. And I do wish I had gone for some sort of third-party library maybe to make that easier. We, 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 mm -hmm. We've got it in the end. But yeah, working directly with it can be really hard at times. Yeah. I think a lot I of the confusion... Um, I, I... No, no, sorry, go on, go on. <laughs> I was going to say, I think a lot of the confusion is um, to do with the center of rotation of transforms with SVG. So DOM elements always rotate around their center, whereas SVG elements um, rotate either around the top left-hand corner of the SVG canvas or the top left-hand corner of the element itself, depending on what browser you're in. Um, I think it's usually the SVG canvas. Um, there's a property called Fillbox now, like reasonably new CSS property, and that allows you to set the center of transform to either the element or the canvas. So nice. that's really good because when I started animating SVG with CSS, that wasn't supported. I think it was just proposed. Um, so it was, yeah, a little bit more difficult to to animate SVG, whereas now we've got that and it's in most browsers. So 
yeah, that's that's good going forward. When when you're working with GreenSock, I mean, I, I I've worked with it like once or twice. I forget exactly what I was doing. I think I was trying to build some custom image loader where I broke the image down into, or no, I, I rendered it in the backend and go into some sort of like triangles, like a bunch of triangles in SVG to, you know, you have that kind of, it's almost the same shape. And then I moved all those triangles into squares and put them in a row. And so like, as it was loading, it would draw the squares in. And then when it was done, it would animate them into place. And just trying to go from the triangle to the square was really hard. But then I used GreenSock to sort of make that whole thing a lot easier. But um, is it the case that you just kind of sprinkle it in? Like, ha ha for those that haven't even gone in here and tried it yet, like, how does it fit into the workflow? It depends, I guess, on what your workflow is. Um, but yeah, most most projects that I use GreenSock on, I kind of tend to use a mixture of GreenSock and CSS because I think that there's some things that CSS animations are really good for, like very simple hover states, um, like very simple transitions from one place to another. So I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say that you have to go all in on GreenSock. Um, it is a tool that makes your life easier. And I think that that's, that's the key thing is I held off from doing JavaScript animation for so long when I was learning because every, when everyone talked about it, they talked about, oh, it's a really powerful tool and it can do really handle really complex animations and powerful and complex makes you think difficult. <laughs> um, so it was a little bit intimidating, but I think it actually isn't it isn't difficult it is powerful and it allows you to do complex things but it allows you to do complex things because it is so intuitive um, and simple to use so it's just an animation tool that makes your life easier really it allows you to chain animations together and it gives you control in a kind of global sense over your animations. So you can get a timeline and you can say hey I want this whole timeline to speed up or I want it to slow down, or I want it to play in reverse when this thing's clicked, or I want it to um, trigger an event at the end of the timeline, um, or I want it to play three times and then speed up. <laughs> you know, you, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Yeah, I really like those parts of it as well, is this idea of, you know, you can roll that yourself, you can write that yourself, but you got to figure out the math and you got to figure out, you know, <laughs> how how close to the frame per second rate you're hitting and all of that. And it just gets really tedious and easy to make uh, mistakes. And I, I, I don't know, I we, we talked, um, we talk a lot on the show about abstractions. And I think that modern software development is about finding the right abstractions. And this one hits a good spot for talking about animation in a way that's easy to grasp you know like you said like this is my timeline i want to chain these things together and i want to be able to then just reverse this one and so on like having these chainable methods to do that that's a super like you say it's a very powerful tool but it's more a helpful tool um yeah. which is cool scott have you played around with this at all no, no. Uh, as as usual, like it's a it's something that I haven't used. Um, <laughs> like it always seems to be the way. Um, but I'm 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 actually interested in. Like, I think um, there's several things about the uh, about the web and um, that that seem like to be barriers for people. And I think that like animation 
done well is really one of those for me. I think that it's, I think lots of people, I, I cast my mind back to when I first saw like Flash or something like that and saw that I could make a, a circle go, like turn into a square. Um, and like tween. being blown, like, yeah, tween, uh, tween two <laughs> shapes. And I think it was like amazing. Um, but it had no real value. And I think because it was just animation gone badly. Um, and I think what I'd really be interested in is like whether you think that tools like this have actually enabled people to do um, like better animations, like without necessarily understanding like what makes a good animation. I think that it just seems to me like there's so much behind um, like creating something good and effective and having subtlety um, and the impact that you want it to have. Um, and people just not really like getting that and just really like diving for a tool like um, for really diving for a tool like Greensock and thinking, oh, well, it's there, so I'm, I'm going to use it. Do you, how would you advise people to handle that? How would you advise people to like, really make impactful animations. Mm. I, I think going back to what you said about whether I think Greensock has helped people make better animations, I think that it has definitely helped people make more performant animations, but Greensock isn't prescriptive. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. the thing that I love the most about it. There's loads of animation frameworks out there that are like, you know, will help you fade these things in and fade those things out in a, bouncy way or something but greensock allows you to do anything so it's yeah a lot a lot more creative and a lot less prescriptive so unfortunately i think that means that there's probably a lot more people out there using greensock to make everything was around um with no uh, no thought for consequences um but i do yeah i do tend to in my animation workshops talk about motion design principles as well um and i'm trying to think off the top of my head what the motion design principle is in my workshop can i look it up we're on a podcast do you edit the things yeah, it's fine i don't really edit it but we can talk while you're looking it up <laughs> it's just a conversation oh, I've remembered. Yeah. it's uh yeah do do not distract from salient information so that's like that's my favorite one right. Um, and I think if you keep that in mm -hmm. mind, um, do not distract from salient information, then, you know, animation kind of comes secondary to that. So if you, yeah, if you um, think about the main reason that people are on the site is for the content, <laughs> you don't necessarily want to be mm -hmm. animating all of the content in as you're scrolling down the page. You want to be animating things that support the content. Uh -huh. I also think we should change the episode name uh, to that. <laughs> Do you know the information? Yeah. 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 Nice. <laughs> we should just flash it out on Twitter as a warning. That's one yeah. of those indie comic books with some sort of like, my superpower is melting cheese. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> know it, it 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 makes me it makes me think as well this you know you, you say that it, it's not always done well but it's it's one of those other things that front enders often have to know about but it, it is very hard to conceive of right it is in this weird gray zone where designers don't always have that in mind mm -hmm. you know 
they often don't have to worry about moving images. And, and even in like design school, they might have that as a course, but not everyone has to take it. It's, it's sort of like on top of the existing core material of what design school would be. And those that are self-taught might have picked up, might have not. It feels like one of those things where you're not necessarily going to be very confident in it, certainly not in terms of putting it together. The same way as you might not be putting together what the API like Swagger file should be as a front-ender. Mm -hmm. You can help with it. You can kind of conceive of it. And if you're given it, you can implement it, right? But to actually start with a blank page and go ahead and decide what's best, that's that's a whole other skill set, which we don't often have. I mean, I think this goes into the, <laughs> the whole um, front-end devs being asked to have too many skill sets bucket because <laughs> it's that article that Chris Boyer wrote ages ago, isn't it? About the um, front of the front end and the back of the front end and the void, the great divide. Um, and I think that yeah. we do expect everyone to have every every skill and I don't have every skill. <laughs> I'm I'm much more front of the front end, so I'm really I'm really comfortable with the animation stuff. I'm really comfortable with CSS. I'm really comfortable talking to designers in language that both of us can understand. Not super comfortable with setting up Webpack files. <laughs> Don't really understand anything about <laughs> Docker. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Th I think that's true for most people, honestly. Yeah, nobody, <laughs> Even those that claim nobody to. Nobody does. Yeah. Yeah. No one understands my plan. They just put it on the they just put it on the TV. Like well, nobody really understands it. If it if it runs, it runs. Yeah. I've, I've been at a conference at, you know, like having beers with the uh people that created, you know, Webpack and stuff, and even they have a hard time explaining it succinctly. You know, that's a sign. They're great people though. So no no offense. That's good to know. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think there's going to be a solution for it other than like bringing awareness to it. And it's it's mm -hmm. that kind of, kind of thing of, okay, if you're working at a company and you know that it's you've gotten things in line enough with your product to say like, let's start doing some motion design, you can't always expect your front end to do that. There is going to be maybe someone that you bring in that is maybe an expert in that, at least mm -hmm. in setting up the initial things. And then your front enders can learn to implement it and they can use tools like GreenSock that that's great as well and you'll find a unicorn every now and then that can do the whole thing great good more power to you um still it's, it's fun yeah go ahead it's part of the ever-expanding industry right like it, mm -hmm. i think that the more the, the more that people see like um good animation and that, like this is true for many things but obviously like we're talking about animation now but the more people see um see it done well i think then you would start to see the need for uh, people to come into to teams and specifically like focus on these things because like the way like with the web maturing um it becomes more and more important for these things to be right and definitely big companies were going to are going to like look at this and say well actually we need like we need an expert to do this so yeah. maybe like you don't have somebody who's on like on one product like solely responsible for animation on one product, but they come in and they have several like portfolios, several several um, products at the same time. But they're definitely responsible for it because if you want it to if you want it to be impactful, you want it to be uh, done well, then bring in somebody who knows how to do it. I mean, like 
that's the whole thing with the web. We can all technically like have a go at it and do it, <laughs> but like if you want it done well and you want it done performance and you want it to really like hit home, then get someone with the proper skills. Yeah, definitely. I I always get so many questions in in my workshops about how, um, yeah, how how to do animation well in big companies, um, and I always feel quite quite privileged because my my main bit of advice is just like communication between designers and developers. But it's because I worked at Clear Left for so long. Um, and it's a small company. So if we wanted animation on a site, like I could just sit down with the designer and we'd just have a bit of back and forth of the designer saying, well, I want to do something like this. And then I'd say, well, we can do these kind of things. And then we'd kind of brainstorm and come up with something. But I think it's a lot harder in bigger organizations because maybe there isn't as comfortable a handoff between design teams and developing yeah. um, like, the animations that they've thought up. Yeah, I I do think that that's getting better. I think people have understood that there needs to be these smaller units that are doing this sort of primary work and thus this communication can happen. It's not everywhere. Like organizations are playing catch up. But like Scott and I both worked for a kind of consultancy and we did see, well, I think we saw over time the acknowledgement that that is a better way to work when possible. Obviously, it's not always, but yeah, one of the best projects I ever worked on, the designers, even though they were third party and we were third party, we were working with the client. We were working with these third party designers on this core team. And we had standups together and design handoffs every you know couple of weeks. It was very, very good for collaboration. Um, yeah, I, I think that's good advice. Another topic I want to discuss, um, it, because I've been kind of reapproaching a sort of burnout phase, and not necessarily burnout, but I guess just you know self care in this industry. So we already have talked about like kind of semi unrealistic expectations at times, um, but then you know in general, like this is a question to both of you. I mean, what strategies do you have to sort of not push yourself too hard and to keep yourself sane when there's all of these requirements that are just like knocking at your door constantly. Does that make sense? It does. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. It's a big question. And first, yeah, of all, like, first, first of all, I'd like to say, Evan, like, uh, like take it easy. If you, if you, if you're coming to, if you, if you think you're going towards burnout, like, nah. like just, um, Take a step back, uh, like please don't do it. Um, no, I, I mean, I think in the last the last year has been difficult, obviously for for many reasons. Um, and like both you and I, Evan, like changed companies, like during uh, during this last year. Um, and so I think um, it's added pressure, um, definitely. It's added pressure because you have the you have the thing where you start a new company you want to actually impress so you probably mm-hmm. take on like a bit more than a bit more than like you perhaps should. Um, I've really really like tried not to do that um, yeah. with this with this move, but I think it's uh, it's kind of uh, inevitable. So I, I for me 
you know the biggest the biggest uh, like cut off, as I've mentioned before, is basically at the end of each day I have to go and get the kids from school, and so like like work finishes, like there's no like there isn't any but I st- but uh, okay full disclosure. <laughs> Just recently, I have been putting the kids to bed and then going back to work. <laughs> um, it's happened a few times. I think you just need to be aware of your limitations. Like, be be hyper aware of it. Be like, really understand that going back to it, we are in an industry where you do releases. If you make a mistake, they can get fixed. It's not like we work in a print industry or something like that, and we've suddenly signed off printed like hundreds of thousands of copies of the book and realize that we've made a terrible error like it's fixable so i i think the great thing about our industry is that like you get you get the chance to fix a mistake so it's not it's not really like life or death well it's it's not definitely not life or death is it definitely (laughs) i don't know whether that's a strategy like to have children to make to force you to stop work (laughs) but that's my but that's my strategy they force nice. me to start. They force me to work <laughs> harder so I can get more money for them, and then they force me to <laughs> stop so I retain my health. Sounds like a very expensive and stressful strategy <laughs> to inflict upon yourself. I realize I realize the error of my ways immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I have a dog, and that's enough. <laughs> that's enough responsibility. Um, yeah, I, I think this. Um, this industry is particularly bad for burnout and because we have to learn so much stuff and there's there's just so much pressure i think the industry's greatest feature is also its worst curse um and i mean the main reason that i got into tech the the jazzy story that i told earlier is like oh you know it's all the neopets and the whatever and I was inspired and stuff the main the main reason is because I was older I was late 20s um and I didn't really want to go back to uni my first career choice wasn't working out um and I felt like I had limited options and tech was an option that I felt like if I knuckled down and just learned things there were lots of supportive kind of systems in place there's um loads of non-profit initiatives that help like women and underrepresented groups get into tech and lots of free resources online. So I was like, if I just knuckle down and learn this stuff, then I can get into the industry. Um, And I think a lot of people are doing that, but that means that we've got a lot of people in this industry who, you know, the majority maybe don't have degrees that are coming in um, and everyone feels like they have to try and set themselves apart from the other people and they don't have, you know, if people don't have computer science degrees, how are they going to do that? They're going to do it with side projects. They're going to do it with social media. They're going to do it with podcasting or Twitch streaming or writing a blog or all of these other things. And people see everyone doing all of that stuff. And they think that that means that they have to do all of it. (laughs) And I know that I have felt like I've had to do all of it a lot of the time. And I think just acknowledging whether you're doing things for yourself or whether you're performing for other people is a very important one for me. Um, So I've started asking myself that when I say yes to things, I'm like, am I saying yes to this because I want to do it? Or am I saying yes to this because I feel like the other person wants me to do it or some external person wants me to do it? 
Yeah, that's really good. And I, you know, I, I brought it up, one, because, yeah, I, I do personally like to talk these things through to remind myself. If I am just sitting in my head saying, hey, you're getting tired, hey, you better stop, like, I won't listen. You know, like, that's just how I am. If I talk it through with others, there's a little bit of social shame that says, hey, balance it out, man. Uh, so that's yeah. good. But yeah, that, that thing you said about that expectations. I mean, look, you know, Scott and I both have our families that we're taking care of. Like we have our full-time jobs as seniors that has the responsibility for our teams and the code bases and such. And then like I do my side projects because I love them and that that's like what I can do. But then there's also this expect, anyway, the podcast, but there's this expectation of like, I should be writing blog articles, right? I, I should give more conference talks um, than the one a year that I do. I should go to these meetouts and hang out with the community and all. And I should be on Twitter more often. And I'm just, I don't have the energy for that. And it's hard to acknowledge that that is okay, you know, yeah. but it is. And I guess that's uh, bringing it out in this sort of public forum. It is okay. You don't have to even do the side projects like I do. I literally do them because I need an outlet and coding was my hobby before it was my career. So it still fits. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to do that. You don't have to do anything. Doing what makes you happy. I, I did a newsletter for the last year with um, my friend Louie, who's Mambalilu on um, CodePen and Twitter. Uh, but we, we did a lovely newsletter. We had so much fun doing it. I met him when I was doing a conference talk in uh, in Belgium. Um, and we got, got a lot of Belgian beers, and then we got really excited about the fact that we were both nerding out about SVG and decided to do a newsletter. Um, but the last couple of months, we just haven't really been feeling it because we've been quite busy and the initial excitement's kind of worn off. So we're calling it a day at a year so that we've got more space for other things. And I think that that's good, like uh, allowing yourself to just kind of do what makes you happy and follow the things that you're passionate about and not put external pressure on yourself for no reason. Yeah, I think that's really good. I, it makes me worry a little bit for you know, the open source contributors that have gotten sort of the GitHub payments or Patreons going. And this idea of you're now starting to get people that are expecting you to do these things. I think for some people, that's great. And it fits well. But, you know, make sure you I, I would like our audience to make sure that they understand themselves a certain degree before they go into these things as well. You know, just know yourself and, and don't place yourself in those situations um yeah at some point at some point you're like turning yourself into a business though if you're doing that kind of thing mm -hmm. like you're like you're making yourself a commodity and you're making yourself that or 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 you're at least making something you're making a product that you're having to put out um and that's going to drain you i mean like are you if you're working full-time and then you're producing like a podcast or uh, a newsletter like it's still it's content it's content that you have to take time to create and so like mm -hmm. if you then move if you then move into like charging people for that um then surely at that point you've got to see like your day job start dropping off or like or like going part-time or whatever if you start if you're starting charging for pe people for things and like raising an expectation then like something has to give like this mm -hmm. it just has to be balanced it has yeah. to be like, I also, I also think that, yeah, that you have to kind of, if you feel like it's time to 
let something go, then let it go. I mean, you've obviously made this decision, Cassie, to like just let the let the newsletter go, and I, I bet you still enjoy doing it. But like it be, but some some things become like a little bit of a, a burden where you don't want them to be a burden. So it is just knowing the right time yeah. to to let it go. I think yeah, holding holding on to things gently and knowing when it's time. Yeah, yeah, like enough's enough, um, and it's the right time. So, so just let it go. I mean, the other thing I would say, um, for in terms of like really combating burnout, is like work for a good work for good people, work for a mm-hmm. good company. <laughs> like that's the that's the main that's the main thing. Like, I would worry about people like getting into the industry that that they would take anything that they could get, like and. So you would have like you would perhaps be in a place where there'd be like high turnover of, of people, but really like, and I'm I speak from a privileged position because I've been in the industry for a long time now, and so like I kind of feel like well I wouldn't work for a company unless they were good, unless they were like a well run uh, group a well run company, but it definitely makes a difference, and I see like especially especially in Barcelona like there's so many tech companies and they're all vying for for developers that. It has to be. It's the other things. It's that that retain stuff. Like so, really, like check out like the package that people are going to give you. You'll still you still have to be disciplined yourself, but like you should definitely look out for the people who you're actually working for. Yeah. Good. Well, that was uh, perhaps not front end specific, uh, but good uh, advice for our industry, I guess. I think it's, um, I think it's important. <laughs> it's very important. It is. It's important to talk about. And I, I do love that oftentimes we encounter talking about a particular topic in the front end is that the lessons that you take away from that are very applicable to the rest of your life, too. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a good sign that we're focusing on something <laughs> that is important and is growing us as human beings too. Like my favorite my favorite takeaway that works for coding and also just general life is if something if you can't figure something out or if it's frustrating you go away and make a cup of yeah. tea. Yeah. And then come back later <laughs> when you're less frustrated. Yeah, it always yeah. works. It always nap. works. <laughs> yeah, to go for a swim, absolutely always works. Yeah. All right, so we're coming to that time of the show where we get into some of our um, more fun, less deep and philosophical moments. Uh, the first of those is our segment, True Hero. In this segment, we want to highlight a few true front-end heroes that are working across the planet and to thank them for all that they do. So, Cassie, this time you nominated uh, one Sultan Akintunde. If you want to tell us a bit about why you're nominating them. Yeah, I am. Um, so, firstly, when you asked about um, who who I would think of as a true hero in this field, I think we tend to look at ourselves like developers tend to look at ourselves as as heroes a little bit too much. I think, and I think at the end of the day, all we're really doing is moving rectangles around and pumping some JSON into things. Um, so, <laughs> I think a lot of us need to maybe be taken down off the hero pedestal a little bit um but someone who i think is doing a really good job at just generally being a wonderful person is sultan um he's kind of set up a um i think the the company is called laptops for developers um it's a company called dev careers i think um and they run something called laptops for developers um where they 
give out uh, laptops to people in Africa who um, want to learn how to code. So I think that's, yeah, that's wonderful. Um, and I can give you a link if um, you can share it with your podcast in case people want to support it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's why we want to highlight it, right? Our, our show being Front End Heroes absolutely is a little tongue in cheek and, you know, we're, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's not at all self-indulgence it's yeah. not at all it's oh yeah i know that i wasn't <laughs> criticizing your podcast name <laughs> i was criticizing the no, people no. in this industry 100 <laughs> percent. Um, but there are real heroes that are out there that that are really doing amazing things um and you know it's that idea as well of bring up the people around you you know and if those can be people you've never met before all the better so Sultan, thank you so much for the, the work that you do again. Um, lastly here, any proper hero is a well-rounded one. And so we want to share some simple picks. Um, has it always been musical? Uh, we're, we're evolving and growing. So Scott, what's the favorite thing you've been interested in lately? Well, this month I have actually, well, I can't, I can't have it as my pick because you had it as your pick last time. But St. <laughs> Vincent, Vincent's album, I listened to it. Uh, a few times now, and it is really amazing. Like I really, I really, really like it. Not, it's not my favorite of hers, but it is. But it is really good. good um, but that can't be my pick because you had it last time. So what did I? I read another book. Um, I read Twenty One Lessons for the Twenty First Century. Like, sorry, Cassie, this is like basically it's a major achievement to read a yeah, book when you when you're a parents when you're a dad of like two young <laughs> children so i'm like i'm super happy because i read a book um but yeah i read um 21 lessons for the 21st century i cannot remember the name of the okay. author but it's like it's been a super popular book um really enjoyed it um and i would definitely recommend other people should read it cool thanks for that uh cassie how about you um I've been, uh, I can always tell when I've just been really deep in the freelance work and um, just work in general, because my my music playlist becomes just basically fortet on repeat. <laughs> so that's yeah. pretty much what I've been yeah. listening to. <laughs> um, it's like my version of lo-fi beats to chill, relax to, or whatever the YouTube playlist is that everyone listens to. <laughs> Do you have a favorite album? Oh, um that's a big question to just drop. Yeah, well, that no, is a but, big... but it's because I, I actually know Fortet and like that doesn't always happen with uh, people. Um, just curious. Favorite album. I don't know if I've got like a favorite album. I think I've got like favorite Fortet um, like tracks in general. Um, yeah. Like... 2017 is one of my favorites nice yeah okay good to know i mean I, I got into them like i probably pink like the album pink or there is love in you that was a good one like that hit back in 2010 and it was like yeah that was a particular time in my life i don't know have you seen um, them live yeah no awesome. i've not seen it I'm terrible at live shows. Um, I never get to go. Um, yeah. Anyway, cool. We'll we'll put that in there. I think that's a great choice. Um, 
from my side, there's this album that surfaced called um, Liminal Migration by Steve Moore and Blue Tech. Um, as with usual with my choices, I have no idea how to describe it, but I'll read this from the liner notes. Um, this is the first release for our Ovoid Crafts sublabel, a showcase for forward-thinking, dance-oriented releases and an opportunity to pay homage to retro sci-fi and all its cheesy glory. Featuring sequential covers that reference 70s and 80s pulp novel covers <laughs> in collaboration with different concept artists, Ovoid Crafts celebrates the more kinetic side of analog synth music, which is the foundation of Behind the Sky's oeuvre. <laughs> yeah. um it's not it, it's not kitschy it's not it, it, it's um analog synth music so it's this kind of, i don't know it's great for coding too i really enjoy it um and it kind of just sprung on me i listened to it once i was like that's okay and then like all of a sudden i'm listening to it on repeat constantly as i work so i've actually Check seen i've seen blue tech play yeah before Ooh. at shambhala in canada yeah, I got into that. I love concept albums, so the whole Four Horsemen thing that they were doing was awesome. Mm. Good stuff. Okay, so it looks like that's all the time we have for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you should like, heart, or star us in your podcatcher of choice. Reviews and ratings are how the fancy algorithms help people find our content, and the power to help is within you. If you have any questions or topics you want covered in our next episode, send a tweet to us at Heroes Front End, and we'll add it to our list. And until next time, Heroes, remember, with great front-end power comes great responsibility. See you next time.